Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We love our newspapers. That's especially true for public radio listeners. But the world is changing. And a series of Tanner Talks continues at Utah State University tomorrow with a panel discussion called Community and the Demise of Local Newspapers. We'll have a panel of media veterans. They'll offer their insights, concerns, warnings, prognostications as local newspapers struggle and community news evolves. Organizer and assistant professor in the USU Department of Journalism and Communication, Matthew LaPlante, quoted in USU Today, said uh, something I think that uh, we could all uh, join in on. He said, I love newspapers. That's where I come from. But we have to start opening up to the uh, people to the idea that, yes, there are things that we're losing as local newspapers decline. But this also gives us an opportunity to redefine the ways we communicate in our communities. So we're going to talk about this today with the panel uh, interesting people who have been involved in newspapers, and some of them moved on to other forms of media. By the way, the 2013-2014 Tanner Talks are a series of cross-disciplinary events focusing on the theme knowledge and community, and they're a presentation of the USU College of Humanities and Social Sciences. So the next panel discussion, as I mentioned, Community and the Demise of Local Newspapers, is tomorrow, 11.30 a.m. in Agricultural Science Building 101 on the USU campus. Let's uh, introduce our uh, interesting panel. Uh, first up, uh, Jeremiah Stetler, who is a formerly political reporter and editor at the Salt Lake Tribune. He now oversees social media management company Social 5 as its vice president of content and operations. And in just two years, Social 5 has grown from a tiny startup with 12 Utah-based customers to an international operation that provides services to more than 2,000 businesses in six countries. Jeremiah Stetler is a USU alum Graduated in 2003 with a bachelor's degree in print journalism and political science, master's degree in public policy. Jeremiah Stetler, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, well, uh, we, we appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Carrie Ann uh, Strickland is managing editor for Alliance Health Networks, Salt Lake City-based company that runs more than 50 disease-specific social health networks. And her side hustle, as she calls it, includes teaching communication courses at the University of Utah, working as a freelance writer and editor and acting as senior editor of IWantHerJob.com. That's a website dedicated to sharing stories of successful women working in industries they love. Early in her career, she had the opportunity to launch a privately owned newspaper in Montana's Flathead Valley. She called uh, a job that might be the most fun thing going. She went on to teach and uh, do those other jobs. Carrie Strickland, uh, Carrie Ann Strickland, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Angela H. Brown has run alternative publication Slug Magazine for more than a decade and has brought coverage uh, to Utah's deserving local music scene. Uh, Utah's action sports community continues to give exposure to prominent underground national uh, bands. And along the way, she's pioneered uh, local band comp- compilations, uh, branded numerous successful events, localized uh, monthly music festival showcasing Utah bands, uh, and many other innovations. Angela Brown, welcome to the program. Good morning. And uh, Patricia Quijano Dark is editor of KSLEspanol.com. That was launched in June of this year as the sister Spanish language site to KSL.com. Uh, KSL.com, one of the top English language news websites in the U.S. And uh, previously, she edited the award winning newspaper OK Espanol. And she's worked at uh, newspapers in London, England, and in Argentina. She's raised in New York City. Her family hails from Argentina. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Let me start with you, Jeremiah Stetler. Uh, I'm curious about your career path here. You worked at the Salt Lake Tribune for several years, then jumped into this, uh, you know, hip hip company, uh, Social Five. Uh, was was that because you saw a decline in newspapers? What uh, tell me about your your career path there? Well, that's exactly right. Uh, the, uh, the the jump was one of those that uh, kept me awake at night for a for for a little while. Uh, we had started up a, a social media company with the idea that um, uh, you know so so many businesses, so many organizations were trying to move into the social space and get their message out. There are very few of these uh, these organizations that were able to uh, you know, produce the content on their own. To very few that could engage people in a meaningful way. And so we went in with the idea that we would uh, we would draw writers from this uh, this industry that seemed to be imploding everywhere we were looking, whether it, it it be the Seattle PI or whether it be the Rocky Mountain News, where we could we could draw on that talent 
and uh, and they help write write content on, on on news and trends and humor and things like that that would engage people in in different industries. So uh, in in the spring of of 2012, uh, you know I uh, I. Uh, broke up with my first love, which was journalism, and uh, yeah, I still remain a, 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 a you know a journalist at, at heart. But uh, moved away from from the Salt Lake Tribune to uh, to move into this kind of exciting world of social media. So that's kind of where the where the impetus came. And ironically, as, as I came over, there was a study that came out from the Pew Internet uh, Research Center, which uh, 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 was was asking internet users where they receive their breaking news and their hard news. And at that time, newspapers and social media were head-to-head. Uh, you know, 28% were for, uh, for, for newspaper and 27% were for social media. And for, for me, it was, it was writing on the wall that it, it, it was probably a move in the right direction. Do you think we're more and more we're going to get our news through social media? And, and I would say yes, but uh, as, a, as a journalist, I say that probably a, a move in the wrong direction. Um, you know, I, I, I believe very firmly in the role of, of newspaper and being able to provide some, some in-depth analysis and particularly some governmental coverage, uh, you know, for, for society, where social media, you know, we grab those headlines, we grab the, you know, the splashy celebrity news events, and uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty tough to uh, paint a picture of, of what's happening in the, in the political scene, the governmental scene, in 140 characters on a tweet, or in 50 words on a uh, on a Facebook post, it, it it's it's difficult to see from a journalist. So if we do move full force into that area, you think there would be something lost? Without question. And when you look at the behavior of people on social media, uh, you particularly as we analyze what posts are, are receiving the most engagement, the most eyes. Uh, posts that have links to news articles or to any substantive material outside of, uh, you know, Facebook actually rank as the lowest type of, of post, whereas full-size images uh, rank top, you know, videos second on the list, and then just, uh, you know, the status updates is third on the list. And so that, that tells me people are coming to social media primarily to be entertained, primarily to pass time, less to be educated and informed about what's going on in their community. And I believe in social media as in online versions, regular online versions of newspapers. It's a similar problem, isn't it? How, how do you monetize this? How do you, how do you get money out of it? And at the Tribune, that was one of the things that we, we wrestled with to a certain degree is, is it felt as if we were giving up uh, uh, you know, dollars for dimes when it came to the advertising revenue that could come from a print product to an online product. And, and, and naturally, as you give up those revenues... Um, your, your newsroom shrinks, and your ability to, to cover communities and cities uh, declines. So all of a sudden, you now have uh, three people that are covering, uh, you, know, uh, you know, 17 or, or 16 municipalities on, in Salt Lake County or whatever it may be. And so uh, uh, there, there is a – it is a difficult transition to make. Mm. Let me turn next to Patricia Quijano-Dark, uh, editor of KSLEspanol.com the sister Spanish language site to KSL.com. Uh, your background is very interesting. You, uh, you've worked for several publications, London, uh, Argentinian uh, Daily Clarín, um, and uh, OK Español, which is a publication owned by Deseret uh, Management, uh, reached 100,000 Latinos along the Wasatch Front prior to its close earlier this year. Uh, so t- tell me a bit about the, the arc of, of your career. What, uh, what, is, what has led you from, from these different publications to where you are now? Uh, well, I started with the traditional magazines, newspapers, you know, journalism 101 kind of thing. Um, and I have seen the evolution. I, you know, I began with trade publications in London and the UK and some glossy magazines where the journalist was, was like a hero in the community. Uh, the importance of the way you know, that we told our stories, it was the only way people could be informed of what was going on. I saw that changing um, quite dramatically when I moved to Argentina in the 90s in Buenos Aires. We were tasked with putting the paper online, which is something that none of us even understood what it meant. We had no idea how big this would get. We didn't know if anybody was on the other end of the line to read what we were putting on. Um, And now, you know, we're all online. We're doing everything through social media, through newspapers online, and it's very different. It's, you know, it's, it's personally, I think it takes away a bit from the professionalism and the need that we have to 
maintain our democracies through information. Uh, what we put online is does have to be bigger headlines to grab people's attention. It is, you know, the 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 big story that grabs people's attention, and whether it's true or not, you know, has yet to be decided. There's so many stories that have broken online that are great to grab people's attention, but then we need to pull back somewhere where we can inform people appropriately. One of the advantages, I suppose, of an Internet world, uh, for example, I've just pulled up uh, Claudine.com, and sitting here in Logan, Utah, I can, I can access the news from Argentina. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's an advantage. I see that uh, there are three Argentinians uh, still missing, the Philippines. Um, looks like an uh, uh, Argentinian soccer player was received by the Pope, you know, uh, on and on. I, I can access that news. Well, and, and for me personally, as editor over here, it's been wonderful because our Hispanic community here in Utah is so diverse and does come from so many different places that I can now, you know, ensure to give each community tidbits of what's going back, going on in our home country. So that's that's the exciting part of it. Hmm. Um, the hard part, though, is that not everybody's online in the same way. Um, apparently, in the United States, 80% of Latinos are involved in social media to some extent. But that does not mean that they're reading online newspapers or they're accessing legitimate information. You know, we can't get our news from Facebook. We can get headlines from Facebook and Twitter. Um, I don't feel that people can be properly informed through through social media. So if, if these seem to be trends, and, uh, you know, none of us knows exactly where this is going to go. But if it keeps heading in this way, and you're, you're telling me I can't get news, and I believe you, from <laughs> only from Facebook, etc., how are we going to get our news? Well, that, that's what I think is the dilemma. Um, I think there's a lot more being placed on the information that's being given via TV and radio, for example. I think TV and radio, especially in, in minority communities, is, is got to be the way that people are informed locally of what's going on. Because sadly, they're not reading newspapers, and social media doesn't give you any kind of in-depth or detailed information. Let me turn next to Angela Brown, who runs uh, alternative publication Slug Magazine. I believe that stands for Salt Lake Underground? Correct. Is that true? Yes. And so you're, you're doing some very interesting work, um, very local, right, and, uh, and community-based. Yes, very local-centric. And, you know, I think that's one thing that has kind of set us apart, um, besides the fact that, you know, we're mostly entertainment-based, so a lot of music-related content, you know, movies, things like that, uh, youth culture um, content, but we are very, very community-related. And it, it seems like it's, you've been successful for more than 10 yes, years. Yes, we have been successful. And, you know, we've been around for 25 years. Um, I grew up reading the publication. I grew up here in Salt Lake City and, you know, at, at the young age of 14, started picking it up in record stores and things like that. And um, now I've been running it for about 13 years as the publisher and editor. And my goodness, you know, things have definitely changed over that 13-year period. But I think you know, one of the reasons why we're still relevant is because our content is so embedded in the community. Um, we've got over 150 volunteers that um, help us with our writing to distribution. And, um, you know, those volunteers are very, very active in attending events and also, you know, scouting stories. Mm. And this does seem to be a, a trend. You hear about this community journalism, hyper local. Uh, do you think we'll be getting our news? from very localized newspapers in the future? You know, I think that is kind of one benefit. I mean, you know, especially with kind of more of the larger news stories, or, you know, even the entertainment news stories, um, if, if, if the, more of the national content you can read about on so many different forums, um, but more of the underground, more of the kind of, you know, we're looking for stories that basically nobody else wants to touch and or nobody, or nobody else really knows about yet to touch. And that's really what keeps our readers loyal is because they know they can read about it in Slug first. And um, the great thing, too, is that we'll actually see some of the other local big, bigger media outlets pick up those stories like a Salt Lake magazine or even a daily or um, a weekly. And, you know, that's a compliment to our staff and to our writers and ultimately to the community. And uh, Karen Strickland, you, you have an interesting background. You had the opportunity to launch a privately owned newspaper in, in Montana. Tell me about that. Yeah, I graduated from the University of Montana Journalism School and worked at a daily newspaper for a bit. And uh, Maury Povich and Connie Chung, a married couple who live part-time up in northwest Montana, um, obviously have media backgrounds of varying um, levels and 
Um, Maury's father, Shirley Povich, was a famous sports columnist for the Washington Post, and uh, both of them felt strongly that the the local corporate-run media in the area, which had suffered a lot of cuts, wasn't serving the community anymore. And they wanted to experiment with a new business model where we would do uh, daily online and weekly in print, and also to give back to the community by bringing back what they felt like would be a um, dedicated crew of local journalists. So they recruited five 20-somethings to head their newspaper uh, editorial staff, and it was a constant um, scramble. There are a lot of moments where we were looking at each other and saying, hey, do you know how to do this? Do you? I don't. Let's figure it out. Um, but it was amazing, an amazing time and a really great chance to get to jump into sort of a, a new world of uh, journalism and some experimentation and certainly an amazing uh, opportunity for someone at that point in their career. Is that newspaper still going? It is. Okay. Yeah, it's the Flathead Beacon. Uh, and I imagine you you check in online. I do. Yeah. Uh, so you you went in a different direction. Yes. And you you started teaching, and very interestingly, you your senior editor at something called IWantHerJob dot com. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, that's sort of a passion project that a friend of mine from undergrad started, and uh, her idea was that she met a lot of women through networking who had had really amazing professional careers or were really passionate about their work and felt like she personally gained a lot from those people, um, from hearing their stories, from hearing sort of how they achieved their positions or found the right fit for them and decided, well, I, you know, I'm benefiting from these. Other people might be interested as well. So she launched that website and a team of us continue to produce profiles and She's, um, I stay mostly on the career side, but she's also expanded into some lifestyle content. And what we found there are some really cool networking opportunities, um, people who read about each other um, in the profiles on the site and then are able to take those relationships offline and really create some meaningful mentorships and uh, great connections within their industry. It seems to me that kind of similar things happen at uh, very localized community newspapers. You, you get yeah, ne- networking, you facilitate networking and community at, at a very small scale. Yeah, I mean, I want her job. It, it, the joy of sort of the online medium is that we're not limited to one geographic place. But I do think that you're right, that um, what online media, I think, sometimes allows us is while we're not geographically constrained, we also we often, I think, find the media narrowing to a niche conversation or a niche subject. So uh, I want her job isn't geographically limited, but it does focus on a very specific group of people, in this case, professional career-oriented women, um, and providing them information that will be directly relatable to them. Uh, That's seen, I also see that at uh, Alliance Health Networks, where I worked with um, disease-specific social health networks. And, you know, there we're finding people who have a like condition, a like health condition, who are interested in seeking informational and social support around that health condition. So, again, you see there that sort of narrowing of an, a community, right? They, they aren't all from one geographic location, but they're sort of replicating what we maybe traditionally would have seen in uh, a small local community. Uh, they're taking that with a niche topic and niche content into an online community. If you just joined us for Access Utah, we're talking about the future of newspapers. How will we consume our news? What are the strengths and weaknesses of uh, the, the way it is now with the uh, with the local newspapers, which, as we all know, are struggling, struggling to find uh, revenue that they lost with, say, classified ads and and the like. Um, Some are putting up uh, digital paywalls. Talk a little bit about that as well as we go. What's lost? What's gained? And uh, we have a uh, panel of uh, interesting people who uh, work or have worked in uh, traditional media and are branching out into new media. Jeremiah Stetler with uh, the social media management company Social 5, Carrie Ann Strickland, 
who is senior editor with IWantHerJob.com, among other things. Angela Brown, who runs the alternative publication Slug Magazine, and Patricia Quijano-Dark, uh, who's editor of KSLEspanol.com. They're going to be participating tomorrow on a Tanner Talks panel called Community and the Demise of Local Newspapers. And that's happening at uh, Agricultural Science Building 101 on the USU campus, 1130 in the morning. This is part of the USU College of Humanities and Social Sciences uh, Tanner Talk series. We'll have more, including a free-flowing discussion following the break. And you're welcome to join us. We'd love to get your perspective. I'll uh, give a little bit of my perspective. My newspaper reading habits have changed and I'm thinking maybe not for the better, and maybe I'm indicative of uh, what's happening with a lot of us. More following the break. Hi, it's Lynn Rosetto-Casper. This week we're getting emotionally ready for all the family time ahead with help from Mo Rocca. And David Leap goes to a carving knife expert to learn more about this instrument that we use maybe only this time of year. Join us. That's a splendid table from APM. Coming up today at 10 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. And support for Utah Public Radio also comes from USU Human Resources. The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. In addition to the 25 million people in this country who have been diagnosed with diabetes or who have it but don't yet know that they do, an estimated 79 million people have entered the danger zone known as pre-diabetes. Their blood glucose levels are higher than normal but have not yet risen to the level at which they would indicate a diagnosis of diabetes. In people with pre-diabetes, the pancreas may not be working as efficiently as it once did, or the body may be gradually building a resistance to the insulin it produces so that the hormone can't do as good a job of clearing glucose from the bloodstream. The good news is that type 2 diabetes is preventable. Diabetes prevention is as basic as eating more healthfully, becoming more physically active, and losing a few extra pounds. And it's never too late to start. This is Lisa for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Be well, Utah. Hi, it's Lynn Rosetto-Casper. This week we're getting emotionally ready for all the family time ahead with help from Mo Rocca. And David Leap goes to a carving knife expert to learn more about this instrument that we use maybe only this time of year. Join us. That's a splendid table from APM. Coming up today at 10 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. And support for Utah Public Radio also comes from USU Human Resources. The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. In addition to the 25 million people in this country who have been diagnosed with diabetes or who have it but don't yet know that they do, an estimated 79 million people have entered the danger zone known as pre-diabetes. Their blood glucose levels are higher than normal but have not yet risen to the level at which they would indicate a diagnosis of diabetes. In people with prediabetes, the pancreas may not be working as efficiently as it once did, or the body may be gradually building a resistance to the insulin it produces so that the hormone can't do as good a job of clearing glucose from the bloodstream. The good news is that type 2 diabetes is preventable. Diabetes prevention is as basic as eating more healthfully, becoming more physically active, and losing a few extra pounds. And it's never too late to start. This is Lisa for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Be well, Utah. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're talking about the future of the newspaper on the program today. I think most of us love our newspaper, but the world is changing. There's a series of Tanner Talks continuing this year into next. That's uh, presented by the USU College of Humanities and Social Sciences. And the next Tanner Talk is a panel discussion called Community and the Demise of Local Newspapers. Media veterans, uh, we have them with us today, are offering their insights, concerns, warnings, prognostications as local newspapers struggle and community news evolves. The next Tanner Talk is tomorrow, uh, 11.30 in the morning, running till 12.45 in the afternoon. 
at the Agricultural Science Building, Room 101, on the USU campus. We have with us Jeremiah Stetler, who formerly worked with the Salt Lake Tribune, now Vice President of Content and Operations at social media management company Social 5. Carrie Ann Strickland, who helped launch a newspaper in Montana, is now Senior Editor of IWantHerJob.com, among other things. Uh, it's a website dedicated to sharing stories of successful women working in industries they love. Angela Brown runs the alternative publication Slug Magazine. And Patricia Quijano-Dark has worked for several publications and is now editor of KSLEspanol.com. You're welcome to join the conversation. I'd love to get your perspective. Uh, if you love newspapers and are concerned about the future of uh, our uh, news in the United States and around the world. We'd love to get your perspective. You can join us at upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. You can join us on our Facebook page. By the way, uh, Candy Carter Olson has liked our post there. You can uh, comment there, uh, Facebook, Utah Public Radio, and you can call us at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. Uh, Pano, I'd like to uh, move into kind of a more free-flowing discussion. I would ask you, uh, I'll just throw out some questions. Feel free to jump in, but if I, I would ask you to just identify yourself, since we have uh, five of us discussing here as you uh, you jump in. Let me open this next uh, portion of the discussion with my personal experience. Uh, I, I love newspapers, grew up with newspapers, uh, was instilled with the love of them from my parents. Um, and I loved, have loved the tactile experience of just holding a newspaper and getting the newsprint on my, on my fingers. But that's shifted over time, and now I, I love the freedom of being able to go anywhere. Uh, my favorite political blog at the Washington Post, uh, favorite columnist for the New York Times, uh, just go on the Salt Lake Tribune and Deseret News sites and uh, just uh, get, get anything that I want. Go around the world, as I mentioned, uh, pulled up clarine.com earlier today. The problem, of course, is I'm not paying for any of that. <laughs> and so that therein lies uh, one of the problems that the newspapers are having. Uh, and out of my concern that, uh, that I want to support newspapers, I called my newspaper, told them I'd, I just never read my paper copy anymore. I want to uh, cancel that. But is there a way I can support you? And so now I'm paying for a digital online PDF uh, version. Um, so my, uh, my question is, is there a viable future for traditional newspapers and the vetting of news that, it, that uh, I think a lot of us think is such a necessity? Throw that out to anybody who wants to, to jump in. Just uh, give me your name as you jump in. Maybe I can throw it out first to Jeremiah Stetler. Yeah, great. Hey, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, th thanks for the opportunity and, and lots of lots of thoughts going through my mind because uh, this this financial model of how to make uh, uh, newspapers successful, uh, you know, financially in, in an online world is is uh, is a real quandary. Um, and uh, you, you know, one of one of my first loves is investigative uh, journalism, and, and one thing we saw uh, with uh, uh, some of the transitions at the Deseret News was, um, you know, the first thing when when the Deseret News downsized was uh, the uh, the uh, the presence in city council meetings or county council meetings uh, disappeared, and so a lot of a lot of coverage uh, went to press release centric coverage or or follow up coverage rather than uh, you know that original reporting in the in the newsroom and 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 uh, investigative reporting takes a, a certain amount of investment uh, and so whether that moves to a, a non profit model uh, of of journalism because there is a uh, there is a passion for it uh, or a, a NPR uh, even sort of sort of model. You know, I I don't have any great answers, or I think I I would probably uh, still be at, uh, at at the Tribune. Uh, you're trying to make, trying to make that one work. One thing I do know is that that uh, there needs to be a philosophical shift among the uh, the old guard in the uh, newspaper business, and and I, I'm going to lump myself into to that to a certain degree as being uh, uh, very reluctant to adopt. New ways and innovative ways to uh, to get news out uh, you know, to readers, um, and, uh, uh, and and how to, how to more incorporate or better incorporate uh, uh, social or online assets 
uh, you know, for revenue, revenue generating and online and audience building purposes. But uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, no no great answers in terms of the financial side. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I do think we are at a, a place in our community or our society where uh, uh, we may need to reach out to the community to say, well, how, do, how much do we value this type of fourth estate, uh, uh, you know, journalism in, in our community? And if we do value it, uh, are we willing to put our money where our, our mouths are on it? So are you talking about uh, sort of public radio-style fund, fund drives, that kind of thing? It, that, that's, that's exactly what I'm referring to, yes. Yeah, I've, I've thought of that, that before. Um, I wonder, Angela Brown. I wonder um, what you think of that. You're you're on the advisory board for KUER. Sure, sure. And you know, we've actually thought about going nonprofit in the past. Slug Magazine has, um, but ultimately we decided against it um, because we're a little bit different than some of these user-paid models. Um, it's almost been a blessing for us that the fact that we have been a free publication for the past 25 years, because we're not seeing this decline in revenue from the lack of subscription sales. Um, you know, we've always been based on advertising revenue. And yeah, we've seen a little bit of that decline, but one of the ways that we've really tried to keep up is diversification. And so we now have a weekly podcast where, um, you know, we're selling underwriting spots on that. We've got um, web banners on our website. And then, of course, the, the print publication. And we try and produce exclusive content throughout all forms. That way, you know, our, our readers really do have kind of an incentive to listen to the podcast, read slugmag.com, because there's, you know, separate content there that you can't find in the print. But if they really don't have the accessibility to online um, content, they can pick up the hard copy. And, you know, we found that that seems to be working for us so far, and our numbers tend to be growing year after year. However, again, we're a little bit of a different business model than your traditional daily paper. Hmm. It does seem that uh, this is going to affect all media, right? We're all converging on the web. And, and for example, in you know, Utah Public Radio, we're putting our news stories audio, but we're also providing written forms of those. Newspapers are coming in with, uh, with podcasts and the like, and, and newspapers are going head-to-head with television news on, on the web. And I, I, it looks like that's, that's the future. We're all going to sort of get mixed up there uh, on websites. I wonder what you think about that, uh, Angela Brown. You you, oh, you, sure, you just sure, yeah. you just mentioned um, uh, that, uh, and I've been looking at those. You you have uh, videos, you have podcasts in, in what would traditionally be a, you know a print uh, medium. True, and you know that's actually video is next on our list as a place to expand, and you know we're really seeing that from a lot of the journalism um, kids coming out of school these days that um, you know they've got to have all of these skills. Which to me, who you know, I actually started out getting into journalism as a photographer, as a photojournalist, and it's kind of almost sad to see that you know that one hat has um, profession has kind of gone gone away. But realistically, nowadays these kids have to know how to make videos, they have to know how to edit them, they know have to know how to write, they have to be able to take photographs and upload them, you know, right away from their smartphones. And, um, you know, regardless for better or for worse, we're trying to kind of, uh, you know, how we feel about that personally, we're just trying to adapt and stay up. um, Because one thing that isn't going away is, you know, this technology um, changing the business and changing the way we do things. And so we're just trying to, again, diversify and keep up with it as much as we can and embrace it. Yeah, I'm remembering uh, Howard Burkus, NPR correspondent based in Salt Lake City. He told us uh, a while ago, a couple of years ago, that when he goes out on assignment, he has a photographer signed with him. Which you would, you know, radio. Why, why do you have a photographer? But you know, right, that's that's right. for the that's well, for the web. That's for the web. Well, and with budget cuts nowadays, you know, it's just it's it's hard to be able to afford to pay both a photographer and a writer. And so, you know, you're seeing again these kind of um, dual hats that mm-hmm. that journalists have to wear. And again, it's you know, for better or for worse, that's sort of just in the reality that we are in these days. Patricia Kehano Dark, I want to talk a little bit about um, your sort of parent company. Uh, when you read some of these studies, um, one name that's mentioned is sort of uh, people are watching him is Clark Gilbert, Desert News. Um, and quoting from one of these studies, uh, Desert News, Clark Gilbert, uh, that company are plunging all in full speed into a transformation in which digital is the core of news presentation and revenue. 
Yes, and uh, and that's actually very well reflected in our. We have a joint newsroom between KSL and the Desert News, and those reporters are the ones that do wear all the hats. They are doing radio. They are doing TV for KSL. They're also writing the story, the news stories for Desert News, um, and all of that goes online first. And then the stories are picked of what will go into the paper and what will go on TV and what will go on radio. It's um, it's kind of exciting to be here and watch it all kind of, you know, it's the airplane in the air kind of theory. We're putting it together. We're making it work. We're coming out with a paper every day. But, you know, sometimes we all teetering on is, is this, are we going in the right direction? Are we covering stories well enough? Um, are we doing enough in-depth information research? Are we talking to enough people or are we so rushed to get everything online with multimedia that, you know, we're, we're missing out on something. And that's what, what the journalists here are, are trying to balance. And, and it's, it is a hard balance, especially because it's so new and, and we're still trying to figure it out. Do you think this is the future, this model? I do think it is the future. I just think we need to figure out how to do it best. I mean, I do think you do need to have people who go online first, who do break the stories, who are at the scene of the accident doing the audio and the video and, and the bits of the story. But we also need those journalists that are back in the newsroom doing the research, doing, you know, the more in-depth information, because that's something that, that, that is lost in the social media. It's, it's, it's the background. It's the difficult questions. It's the analysis that you don't get in the instantaneous online first model. And uh, the journalists, you're, you're telling me, do worry about that. They do. They do. I mean, everybody who you speak to, they'll come back from a, you know, a hot story while they are recording their video and their audio and writing their stories together. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's quite psychotic in a way. You're trying to be so many people at once and trying to do it right. And, you know, we all have our professional journalism hats on while learning new media. You know, we're, we're learning how to do online. We're learning how to do photos. We're learning how to talk properly on the radio. We're learning which is our best side for the camera all at once. Mm. Early in the program, you expressed a concern, at least, that the medium, in some cases, might be driving the content a little bit. For example, taking stories would be presented differently in print. They're presented in a different way if they're online. Bigger headline, you know, that sort of thing. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's a whole bunch of stories that broke first, more recently that broke first online before being, you know, researched properly, shall we say. Some of them were great. You know, the royal wedding, that's a perfect thing to be announced on Twitter. There's, there's, you know, no background that needs to be done, no information. But then there's other things about, you know, Osama bin Laden, you know, was killed. What did we really know about that when it was first released? It was, we just got little tidbits. And there's so much information that we get little bits because it's online, because it's a big headline, because it's exciting. But us, the readers or the, the news consumers, don't really know what is happening and why it's happening. Hmm. Carrie Ann Strickland, I'm curious about to ask you about this idea of hyper-local. And some people think uh, local newspapers, if you define that as a newspaper like Salt Lake Tribune, Desert News, that sort of thing, which covers statewide, is going to continue to struggle. Big uh, international brand names like uh, New York Times and Washington Post will be okay because people identify online with the brand name. And then you're going to have very local uh, papers. I wonder what you think about that. I, I would imagine that the newspaper you uh, you know, founded or helped to found there in Montana would fit under that uh, label. Is it very local? Yes, absolutely. Um, you're talking about a pretty rural area, a rural state. Um, and yes, the, the paper there is very much a, a hyper-local representation of its community. Um and I think that we've seen, you know, you've seen in studies, too, that uh, these rural newspapers in many cases are outperforming uh, ones in larger cities because they still have the uh, financial support and um, the business model that's supporting their continuation of news in those communities. Um, it's a really big challenge. You sort of posed it earlier. I think if any of us knew how to solve the financial dilemmas of newspapers right now, we'd be... I mean, we'd be millionaires, right? That's the question of the industry. Um, and no one has quite cracked that nut yet. Um, but I do think that those those smaller, hyper-local newspapers show one example, or in the case of Slug that we've been talking about here, like they have a hyper-local community within this 
community. Um, and by, I think, finding those niche audiences or those niche communities that you're really able to create some of that uh, importance and readership. And like you yourself expressed, that you're willing to call and ask to pay for the content you're receiving because you value that. And I think that that's the sort of uh, loyalty that you can maybe build with that sort of um, hyper-local content. Yeah, I, I, and I don't know, and maybe I'm just conditioned from being a public radio guy that you know you, that's, right. <laughs> that I, I preach that twice a year that you got to pay for what you get. Um, but but the loyalty part, I think that is a, a pretty general. I think people do love their newspapers. Hey, and it comes back to value. What what does the community feel like they're getting from you? And you know that's one thing that I think is worrisome a lot of times when you. Um, we're talking about the changes within the newsroom where people wearing multiple hats. Um, at what point do you cross the line where you're really hurting the quality and value of the product that you're producing? And I think that in a lot of cases we have already crossed that line where we're um, hurting ourselves by the changes that we've made. Um, but a lot of that has been the result of not being able to solve sort of that business transition. How do we financially support um, these efforts within a community? If you just joined us, we're talking about newspapers. We, we love our newspapers, but the world is changing. And there's a series of, uh, they're called Tanner Talks. They're, they're continuing at Utah State University. Uh, presented by the USU College of Humanities and Social Sciences. The latest one, uh, the the next one, is tomorrow. It's called Community and the Demise of Local Newspapers. And that's happening tomorrow morning at 1130. Runs till 1245 in the afternoon in Agricultural Science Building 101 on the USU campus. And we are talking with Jeremiah Stetler, formerly political reporter and editor at Salt Lake Tribune, now vice president of content and operations at social media management company Social 5. Carrie Ann Strickland, who helped launch a newspaper in Montana, uh, now wears several hats, and one of those is senior editor of IWantHerJob.com, a website dedicated to sharing stories of successful women working in industries they love. Angela Brown runs the alternative publication Slug Magazine, and Patricia Quijano-Dark has worked for several publications, is now editor of KSLEspanol.com. You're welcome to join the conversation. We have uh, about a little under 10 minutes left uh, for you to do so. I'd love to get your perspective at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us uh, on uh, by email at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com, or on our Utah Public Radio Facebook site. I want to ask you uh, next, Jeremiah Stetler, uh, what changes have you seen in, uh, maybe just take your newspaper, Salt Lake Tribune, over time, with these financial pressures, have you seen changes in content, you know, where the rubber meets the road in, in how news is presented or what news is presented? Yeah, yeah, yeah great, great question. And, you know, the, the place where we have seen the uh, the biggest declines um, ha- has been in the uh, in the, the, the governmental and, and political reporting side of, of the business. Um, and, and I think that's, that's probably the first area... That will fall as 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 traditional media declines, um, and as resources get stretched thin. I mentioned the uh, uh, you know the absence of of uh, uh, the Desert News uh, in in meetings with the Salt Lake County Council or with the Salt Lake City Council after the the downsizing that happened. Um, and and really, what we saw in terms of pressure on 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 our paper is each each year during my tenure at the Tribune, uh, we saw a smaller and smaller news hole that was devoted to uh, coverage of the uh, the legislative session, um, and and in, in its place, uh, you know, we saw more stories that were geared towards towards entertainment, uh, more stories that were, uh, you know, you know the, the celebrity happenings, the uh, you know the splashy national news happenings, and less about kind of the the, the turn of the wheel uh, uh, government reporting in in uh, Utah. Um, so I, I have have concerns about that one. Um, I did see that uh, we we did stretch reporters quite quite thin on on the local government scene. I think I mentioned that you know three reporters over you know covering uh, you know Salt Lake County and all of its municipalities. So that would that would be the change that I would see reflected. 
which seems to mirror some of the uh, the, the audience shift in the, uh, the the social world as well. Angela Brown, of course, your publication is very specific. You've got entertainment, alternative sports, and and, and the like, and you serve your audience very well. Um, but imagine you personally, you want to consume some regular news. Where, where do you go? Oh, yes. You know, I, I kind of like, I guess, um, how I view my readers. I consume news in all formats. Um, there's a little coffee shop just on our block here where I, uh, I, I have to admit I don't actually pay for the daily service, but I do go over there and, um, you know, read a variety of the New York Times as well as, um, you know, the local dailies as well. Um, and then, you know, when I pay for my $5 cappuccino. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you know, through Twitter, um, I read a lot of links um, through news sources, um, you know, sent out that way as well as um, on websites. Um, and then, of course, um, podcasts as well. I, I love to listen to podcasts. So those are the main ways that I do consume my media. But, I, you know, I pick up, I make a point to pick up all of the local um, monthlies, the kind of the free alternative weeklies, all of those as well to stay current with what's happening here in the market. Uh, you mentioned the New York Times. I have sort yeah. of an uh, ongoing sort of one-sided battle with them. They put up a digital paywall. Right. Uh, um, and when I get to my the end of my 10 free articles, I don't go back. Uh, <laughs> I'm refusing. I do pay for the, you know, the local paper. Um, I don't know what you do. Yeah, you know, um, and and that I feel the same way. It's it's you know, I think we just get so used to reading content for free online that it is a little cumbersome to have to pay that subscription fee. Um, and you know, um, especially when there are so many great media outlets that are providing it for free. Um, you know, kind of going back to the NPR mod- model, um, I get a lot of my source obviously through KUER, um, which I am on the board of, um, and. And, you know, that nonprofit model does seem to be serving them well. They're actually expanding their local newsroom and, um, you know, very slowly and not, not very large and, you know, with not bringing on too many new people. But um, I think that, that that is, you know, a kind of a good way for some of these media outlets to look at in the future. Carrie mm. and Strickland, same question to you. How, how do you consume your news? Where do, where do you go? A really similar response there. I I will admit, and this is embarrassing as someone who works in the industry, but I have totally reached my 10 limit on the New York Times and then opened an incognito window to continue viewing content. (laughs) Um, And I'm embarrassed to say that I've done that, right? If anyone should be supporting it financially, it should be me. And I have in the past, and and this is sort of giving me a wake-up call of, okay, I need to do that again. Um, but when you're in the moment and you want that link or that access to the content that you've gotten used to having delivered for free and quickly and you're accessing it, say, via social media, you're, you want it. You want to see it then. So um, I do try and stay you know, up to date with national news via things like that. But then also that, you know, I love, I have a special place in my heart for local media um, and probably an unhealthy uh, tick that still requires me to follow legislative and state politics. Uh, I joke that I'm a recovering journalist and can't quite get over that desire to be informed in those areas. Uh, Patricia Quijano Dark, uh, I wonder it's if, and this is you know, the big black skull and crossbones, if papers like Salt Lake Tribune, Desert News, etc., were to were to go under, uh, we'd then I think be in a world, wouldn't we, where we'd all have to to vet the trustworthiness of the uh, news we're getting from various sources. Oh, I absolutely agree, and, and that is a very frightening thought to the continuing existence of our democracy. Um, I'm always concerned that people are just not getting enough information. We're just not educating ourselves on what's going on locally, nationally, internationally, and even in our own neighborhoods, it is so hard to find that information now. Even though we're in a world where it's everywhere, somehow it seems to be so much that we don't really know what is happening in our legislature today, for example. Because we, you know, like Jeremiah mentioned, there are less reporters up on the Hill every day. So it's very hard. I mean, being, I love newspapers. I read about seven or eight, and I grew up in a home that we did. My my father, even before the internet, would receive every day at home about six different newspapers from different places. And sometimes the news was old, you know, because it takes a while to cross the sea. But 
the importance of consuming it, of understand what's going on with, with, you know, our government leaders and society as a whole is, is so crucial that if our newspapers do go down, we need to figure out how we're going to get that information out there. Now, there are some experiments, you might call them, that it seem to be, reports are, they're, they're, they're successful. This, this digital paywall from the New York Times that we've been talking about seems to be bringing in more revenue uh, for them. But uh, I wonder, is that, is that something? Should, should I can, you know, consider paying that? Well, personally, the New York Times, I grew up reading the New York Times. I can't imagine not reading it. So I have a Sunday subscription because the Sunday takes up my whole Sunday afternoon. Um, and that allows me to, during the week, look at it digitally oh excellent so you so that's the way you you get it yeah you know the challenge with a digital paywall is uh, i mean i mean think about what that looks like here in in utah if i'm at the tribune and put up the digital paywall all of a sudden i've given my competition a enormous enormous benefit and so i uh it it's 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 a difficult step to take and it's it's a a, a step that almost needs to be taken as an industry versus a a, a, a single paper uh, because of the the inherent business drawbacks that come from it. And we're uh, reaching the uh, the end of our uh, time, uh, and I wonder we give the last word to uh, Angela Brown. What do you uh, give us your prognostication? Where do you think this is going? You know, I think um, again, I think for what's what's worked for us is diversification is really trying to embrace all of the modules. And as far as you know, again, we don't cover a lot of the political, um, you know, information. We don't have any. You know, we're an entertainment-based publication, so we don't have um, reporters up on the hill. But you know, kind of giving um, some some time to that argument, I think that is something that is very very scary. And I think it is really important to think about that with your dollars and to support. Um, whatever publication it is that you do read when you can. And we'll leave it there. Um, if you'd like to uh, continue with this discussion, uh, you can certainly go to the Tanner Talk. We'll uh, have the same panel there as part of the Tanner uh, Talk uh, event, and that's happening tomorrow on the Utah State University campus, presented by the USU College of Humanities and Social Sciences. The topic is Community and the Demise of Local Newspapers. It's 11.30 a.m. to 12.45 p.m. in Agricultural Science Building 101 on the USU campus, free and open to the public. We've been talking with Jeremiah Stetler, who's Vice President of Content and Operations with Social Media Management Company Social 5, Carrie Ann Strickland, uh, who is the Senior Editor of uh, IWantHerJob.com, Angela Brown, who runs the alternative publication Slug Magazine, and Patricia Quijano-Dark, who is Editor of KSLEspanol.com. Thank you to all of you. And uh, thank you to uh, my producers, uh, Katie Swain and uh, Bennett Purser. Thanks for listening today. This is Ira Glass of This American Life. Oh, oh my God. One thing I really like in a radio story. What's back there? It looks empty. No, there's someone living back there. Is a mystery. I'm not going back there. There's so much hair. There's a head in there. There's a shrunken head right there. Mysteries explained. Each week, this American life. It's Santa Claus. <laughs> Resident Evil. Sunday afternoons at two on Utah Public Radio.